Well, now I'm really hungry. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else is. Uh, it wasn't the right day to skip breakfast. But I want to just make sure that everyone knows that there is this debate needs to be completely settled. There is obviously a best comfort food of all comfort foods, and that is truly, as was mentioned, macaroni and cheese. Okay, It's been my comfort food since I was a little kid. When I was a kid, there was a certain type of macaroni that basically was this basic macaroni. You've kind of got this basic mac and cheese. No artificial flavors or synthetic colors. There might have been artificial flavors and synthetic colors when I was a kid. So there was this. This is basically what I had, but it was all I needed to be comfortable. And then I got to college, and the Lord blessed us with Easy Mac. This was a new thing. It was not a thing when I was a little kid, but it came out. And so this is, these were my options right here. This is what I had. I had the main macaroni and cheese and then the, the Easy Mac. But I don't know about you, but have you seen how we have now been blessed with an abundance of different types of macaroni options? Have you guys seen this? We've got like so many options. And so I brought some today, and I'm certainly not going to eat them all. So if you want to claim one of these, I'll make sure it gets to you. But we now have deluxe four cheese, four different cheeses in this that at least two of them are actual cheese. All right, this is an option. Now we've got, if you loved Cracker Barrel, you can actually get the Cracker Barrel brand Cheddar Harvardi. This is like fancy cheese, macaroni and cheese. Who claims this one? I mean, just put it in the feed. I'll make sure this gets to you somehow if you want this. I'm not going to, I don't need that much comfort to have all of these. Now, kids, this is really exciting because you can now get macaroni and cheese shaped like the Frozen characters. The kids are like, duh, Pastor Steph, we already knew that. And then you can also, um, what else did I get here? Oh, yeah, these are going to be my favorite, though. This is going to be the Paw Patrol actual macaroni and cheese. Nothing like eating macaroni, comfort, comfort food that are shaped like little puppies, right? This is awesome. And then finally, we've got the real aged cheddar. So if anybody wants to claim any of these, you just type that down there and I will find you and I will get you some of this macaroni and cheese because this is the ultimate comfort food, all right? This is the ultimate comfort food. So it, here at Mill City, we've been having this conversation where we've gone through the New Testament from beginning to end. We're right in the middle here and we are in Romans. So if you're joining in with us, that's right where we find ourselves. We find ourselves in this letter to the church in Rome from Paul, this early leader in the church. He's writing this letter to this group of people. I've got two tips for you. The tips are this. First, you should check out North City Church Facebook page because Pastor JD did this awesome interview with our own resident scholar, John Dunn, about the background of the book of Romans. Totally worth your time. Check that out at North City Church Facebook page. And then also, here's a little, a little hint for you. Find some time this week, even if you've been reading along in our reading plan, find some time this week to sit down and actually read the letter all the way through in one sitting. Because this is a letter. This man is sending a letter to people. If somebody wrote you a letter, you wouldn't just sit down and read like little parts of it, right? I know it's a longer one of those letters, and so that's why we don't often read Romans in one sitting, but I encourage you to do it. I did it this week. It took less than a half an hour, and it really helped me get a bigger picture understanding of what Paul was trying to do and how he was communicating to these churches who he had never visited, people who he had never yet actually been with them in their church, but he already loved them and he cared so much about them. So give it a chance. Just sit down and read it all the way through and see what it's like to read that letter uh, that Paul is discussing to them, even though we tend to dissect it, and we'll do that a little bit today. I encourage you to check it out. So this letter from Paul to the churches in Rome has a, a number of different goals, I think, that Paul is trying to, to accomplish by writing this letter to these churches. But one of the goals, I think, becomes clear, and that is that Paul is trying to comfort them. Paul is trying to comfort these young churches. Now, I don't know that he sent any comfort food with his letter to them, but what we do know is that he was trying to comfort them. 
Why would Paul be trying to comfort these people in these young churches in Rome? The reason being is that these people were stuck between two kingdoms. Maybe you've seen this image that we're talking about, that the two kingdoms, between two kingdoms, they're stuck between the kingdom or the empire of Rome and then the coming kingdom of God, this kingdom that they're looking for that's coming in their midst, just like we are looking for the kingdom of God to come in our midst. And as they're stuck between these two kingdoms, the reality is, is that these Jewish folks and these early followers of Jesus who were Jews and Gentiles, they were people who were marginalized in Rome. They were people who were feeling and experiencing significant oppression. Similar to the little kingdoms, I often call them the little kingdoms. So there's the kingdom of God and the little kingdoms. So similar to the little kingdoms of the world today that we live in, including our country, you've probably noticed that the people in power will always use that power against the people that they want to marginalize. And that same thing was happening then. These Jews, these early Christians, they experienced persecution from people who were in power. Rome was, was, the Roman Empire was persecuting people because of their ethnic background, because of their religious practice, anything that they wanted to use to be able to keep people marginalized. And so Paul mentions in this letter actually a number of different things that they're facing. He says, I know that you're facing persecution, oppression, distress. Another word that he uses is peril, trials. People are experiencing death. The Roman Empire had been trying to say, we are the, the, the Pax Romana or the Roman peace. We offer peace. All you need to do, Caesar can offer peace to you. All you need to do is to follow this leader and you will experience peace. But it wasn't real. It wasn't real. This leadership was actually leadership that perpetuated violence and brutality. And so this is the experience of these people a couple thousand years ago. So I want you to just imagine, imagine that you're facing a scenario as difficult as the people in Rome were facing. And someone was going to write you a letter to comfort you. What would you hope that was in that letter? What would, what would you want to be comforted? How would you want to be comforted? If somebody wrote you a letter to comfort you in the midst of this trial, what would be comforting for you to hear? So just think about that for a minute. I think that it would be comforting to to have that person just start out with being honest, you know, like someone who's just able to say, look, I see what you're going through. I hear what you're facing. I know what you're going through. I think that kind of honesty would be really helpful to me. It would feel comforting to me. And I think that's why Paul in this letter names so much of the things, these trials that people are facing. Throughout this whole letter, Paul is pretty honest about the problems, not just the immediate problems that they have, but the, prob the big picture problems that are being faced by humanity. Paul's pretty honest about them. And so today, today I want to talk about a specific problem that Paul addresses throughout the letter. And this problem is this, that we experience suffering because of the brokenness in this world and in our lives. We experience suffering because of the brokenness in this world and in our lives. Does anybody resonate with that problem right now? Maybe in your life, maybe you wouldn't necessarily use the word suffering for your life, but someone close to you, someone you care about, a people group that you're praying for. And so then Paul has this very, I think, kind of strange way of comforting people in their suffering. He says that we should rejoice and praise God when we suffer. We should rejoice and praise God when we suffer. And here's my gut reaction. I want to be like, Paul, could you at least start with, I'm sorry that happened to you, before we jump into something like that. It's not my natural reaction to rejoice when I'm suffering. Absolutely not. 
Let's zero in on Romans 5. We're going to look at the first few verses to just kind of understand this unusual way that Paul is comforting his friends in the midst of suffering. So if you have a Bible or an app, you can pull up Romans 5, 1 through 8. This is in the middle of this love letter of comfort that Paul's writing. He's being honest, but he's also trying to comfort them. So Romans 5, 1 through 8, and I'm going to have it up here on the screen and I'm going to read it, but I want to encourage you, why don't you just read it out loud with me as we go? Just read it out loud with me as we go and uh, that might just help it sink in a little bit more as we read. So Romans 5, starting in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here in this verse 3 and 4, we glory or we praise, we continue to praise God in the midst of our suffering because suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm totally here for the character and the perseverance and the hope. I just don't know why we have to go through the suffering part. I'm here for that. I'm here for character, perseverance, and hope. So here's a, sorry if this is an overshare, but I'm just going to be real, real with you guys this week. In the middle of the week this week, I just had this really weird stomach ache, all right? Just don't imagine much more than that. It was just a bad stomach ache, and it went away at the, in the morning, but it just hurt. It hurt really bad. And uh, whenever I have stomach aches, I'm a super big baby about it. Like a headache, I can deal, but the stomach ache, ooh, not good. And so I'm having this stomach ache, I don't know why, and I want to know what do you do when you're in pain? When you're in physical pain, you're feeling physical suffering, what do you do? Because I'll tell you what I do. I start to bargain with God, all right? I'm like, look, God, if you take this pain away, I will never eat fried food ever again. I promise you I'll stop. I, what do you want me to do? Just take it away, it hurts, because I'm such a big baby, and I'm just, just whining about it. There is nothing in those moments of acute suffering that want me to praise God because I am developing perseverance and character. Not even close. Have you ever been there with that kind of acute suffering where you can't think about anything else but how bad it hurts? But let me tell you about another type of suffering that I face that I've, I've shared with other people before. It's not acute stomach ache suffering. It's different. It's, it's chronic pain. I know some of you deal with that as well. It can be acute at times, but when I'm dealing with this chronic pain, it's usually just something that I have to just work through on a daily basis almost. Maybe some of you resonate with the long-suffering type of, of suffering that we might experience in our lives. Maybe you've experienced a long-suffering reality physically or emotionally or relationally in your life. And as much as I almost like don't want to admit it, I see how what Paul is saying here is real. It can be true when I let God into my daily suffering, which I don't always choose to do, but when I let God into my daily suffering experience, I do see how I've developed perseverance. I, I do see ways that God uses it to, to build my character. And I do see how when I choose, it's weird, but when I choose to let God into that, it is this way I which I experience hope. 
There's this hope that comes into my life, this longing for something in the future where I know that God's going to take away pain and suffering because even if God heals the pain for me in different parts of my life, I know that there's this hope that I'm waiting for where I'll actually be free of pain. And I feel that hope rising in my life when I actually let God into the pain and the suffering, which I don't do on every day, but when I do. And you want to know something else I notice about this experience of suffering in my life? I notice how much more I rely on God when I am actually suffering than when I am doing all right. I notice how much more I rely on God when I'm suffering than when I'm doing all right. And I don't think that God, I personally don't think that God causes suffering, but God uses it. I, I can't deny it. I can't deny that God uses suffering in my life. I've seen it too many times, even though it's weirdly hard to say that out loud because of the reality of how difficult suffering can be. One of the reasons I think that we can struggle with suffering and hope and how suffering and hope can go together is because I think sometimes we confuse hope with optimism. Sometimes we confuse hope with optimism. Tim Mackey, who's the guy from the Bible Project, love that guy, he's got an awesome word study video on the word hope. Totally check it out. And, and Tim talks about how biblical hope is based on a person. It's based on Jesus and what he's accomplished which makes it so much different than optimism. Let me give you a definition of optimism. Optimism is choosing to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. And, and I'm not saying optimism is bad, but you can choose to see in any situation how circumstances could work out for the best. Some of you are more optimistic than others, and that's fine. But biblical hope is not based on circumstances. Biblical hope is a choice to trust that God is bigger than our circumstances. That God is going to be with us no matter what we face, leading us to a future hope where all wrong things will be made right, where all pain and suffering will be gone. Paul says, we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. So we're, we're boasting about God's glory. What does that mean? That God's kingdom is coming now in the midst of our little kingdoms and that God's kingdom will come fully someday. We want to boast in that. But here's what I'm noticing. I'm noticing there is a lot of boasting going on right now. There is so much boasting by those who think they know exactly what we need to do to solve this pandemic. And then there's boasting by the people who are like, nope, those people are definitely wrong. Here's what we need to do. And then there's boasting about what humans can do and can't do to fix the brokenness in the world, economically, health-wise, all these problems in this crisis that we're facing and so many others. And maybe that's fine. Maybe that's even expected. Of course, there is important discussions to have in the midst of these little kingdoms. Maybe we should expect in the little kingdoms of the world that we have to have some of these conversations because we too live in between kingdoms, don't we? Just like these people in the first century. And we shouldn't expect the little kingdoms to be like the kingdom of God. They're not. But what about boasting in who God is? I think there's a lot of boasting going on about what the church should or shouldn't be able to do. There's a lot of opinions about that, very loud, boastful opinions on all sides. And honestly, that sounds to me just like a lot of little kingdom boasting too. What about boasting in who God is? Paul says we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Boast in what Jesus can do now to be with us by the power of the Holy Spirit, forgiving us, healing us, leading us. Boasting that God gives us strength to hold on to hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Boasting in what Jesus has done that matters now, but eventually will set us free from all that brokenness altogether. Paul boasts in the hope that we have in God, which by definition, hope, 
is something we have not yet fully realized, right? That's what hope is. It's we're not there yet. Paul is admitting here that hope doesn't always feel good. In fact, hope can feel like suffering. It's just that we have a different word for hope when we're suffering, don't we? What is it? Longing. Longing. I often say this. Longing is what hope feels like on a hard day or maybe a hard year. I bet some of you are feeling some deep longing in your life right now. I know I am. I think it would be good for us in the midst of the longing that we're experiencing for many different things, and that's okay. But should we ask this question, do we long for God in the midst of our suffering? In this difficult situation that we're facing, do we feel an increase in our longing for God now and God's hope in the future? I hope that it does increase our longing for God. Because I think when we find ourselves in a place where we deeply long for God, we will see God move in ways that we would otherwise miss, even though we're experiencing that difficult feeling of longing that is a version of suffering. Paul is saying that we can still praise God when we're suffering and longing because God will use it in our lives. I think that's what he's trying to say. He's trying to say we can praise God in our suffering because God's going to use suffering. God's not going to waste it. Paul understood suffering. He himself will end up in Rome as arriving as a prisoner. He will die in Rome, probably by the order of Nero, who was probably the Caesar at the time. Nero, this, this, this brutality leader, he's going to be the one that orders Paul's death. And here Paul's writing this letter to this group of people, telling them that they can be comforted. He understood. He understood what they were going to go through and what they were going through. And he wanted to say to them, I see what, what you're experiencing. But if Paul's goal is to comfort them, don't you think it would be tempting just to say to them, hey, look, it's going to be okay. But that wasn't true. He knew that. So instead, he's honest about the problem they're facing. And he chooses to share the truth about the solution. Even if it meant holding back from the rose-colored glasses, holding back from optimism, and all of the things that might be tempting to want to say to people who are going through something hard. But the reality is, is if you're truly suffering, then all that silver lining talk eventually just becomes painful to your ears, doesn't it? So if this is the problem that we outlined earlier, that we experience suffering because of the brokenness in this world and in our lives. We experience suffering because of the brokenness in this world and in our lives. Paul makes it clear when you read back verse 6 through 8 that Jesus is the answer to this problem. Jesus took the brokenness of the world upon himself, including the brokenness and sin in our own lives. He took it upon himself on the cross. This is the way that Jesus answered this problem. He went through the suffering so that he could comfort us and say, I understand. He went through the suffering so that ultimately, someday, all suffering will be conquered. And in the midst of this time right now, we experience God's comfort in the midst of suffering. So we can have hope in the midst of suffering. Here's just four ways. We'll put them on the screen. Four ways that we can have hope in the midst of suffering. God uses our suffering. God understands our suffering. Jesus understands our suffering, as Paul described. The Holy Spirit power can bring us through the suffering that we experience in life. In verse 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The Holy Spirit brings us through the suffering we experience in our life. I've experienced that. I hope you have too. And then finally, we can have hope in the midst of suffering because God will end all suffering. That's the hope. God doesn't cause suffering. I, I personally do not believe that. 
but I absolutely see that God uses it. I think if Paul was writing to us today, I think he would name all these things that we're going through. Maybe you could add to this list. I think Paul would say, I, I see you. I see this terrible pandemic, this economic strife, this, this terrible ways that people with Asian heritage have been treated, the, the lament and the pain watching these African-American lives being killed, this, this, this reality that people are scattered from their loved ones when they're sick and in their most need of their family, people who are filled with overwhelming disappointment and grief and loss from things that they have lost, opportunities and dreams being dashed. I see the sorrow. I see the suffering. I think that's what Paul would say. Maybe you could add to that list. And then Paul, I think he would say, but we also glory, we praise in the midst of our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. So what does it look like to hold on to hope in the midst of a time of suffering, if that's where you're at now or people that are close to you? Because here's the thing, we, we don't have to hold on to hope, do we? We can let suffering close us off and close our eyes and shut us down. We can. It's happened to the best of us, myself included. But we can choose to hold on to hope and to open up our eyes, to open up our eyes in three ways, to look back at God's faithfulness, how did you get here? How did God bring you from there until now? You're still here. How did God bring you through suffering in the past in your life? To look back on God's faithfulness, to look around for what God is doing amongst you now, the Holy Spirit can show us how God is with us even in suffering. And then third, to look forward in hope towards what God has promised that God will do, to make wrong things right in the midst of the, the reality of what we're facing now. We look forward in hope. We look back to see God's faithfulness. We look around us to see God moving in our midst now. And we look forward in hope. I even have some practices you can try, really easy ones, okay? So for looking back in God's faithfulness, just make a list of the ways that God has been faithful to you. That would be powerful. For the ways that you want to look for God moving in your midst now, I challenge you just for a week, put a little journal by your bed. Take five minutes to write down where you felt close to God that day and where you felt far from God that day. It'll make a huge difference just every day. Just write that down. And then looking forward, can we pray that God would give us perseverance and character and hope? Because we can't do it on our own. As we read, it's the power of the Holy Spirit that helps us do this. Before we take communion, we're going to sing a song that is familiar to, to many of you, if not most. And it's the, the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. The author of this hymn went through a lot of suffering. And this song was born out of this experience of suffering that this hymn writer has experienced. It is well with my soul is not the same as it's fine, everything's going to be okay. The lyrics tell of sorrows and trials. It is well even when things aren't fine. It is well when we're full of sadness and anger and frustration and pain. Even in the midst of all of that, it can still be well with our souls. In the midst of suffering, God uses our suffering. Jesus understands our suffering. The Holy Spirit gives us power to bring us through our suffering. And God will ultimately end all suffering. And that's why I think we can sing, It Is Well With Our Souls. Let's pray together before we go into this final time of worship. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we desperately need you. Some of us feel that very acutely right now, or we do on behalf of other people. We need you 
to be the one that develops perseverance and character and ultimately gives us hope in the midst of the suffering that we experience in this world. God, help us to feel and experience your compassion and not to compare our suffering to other people, but just to let you into it, just to let you into that place in our life. Holy Spirit, that you would bring us by your power through anything that we face, no matter what it is. We thank you and we love you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.